Matthew chapter 11. We uh, saw in the first half of the chapter where basically the message is this, look no further, that Jesus is the one. We need to look no further. John the Baptist, he is in prison, he's discouraged, he's unsure, and so he sends word to Jesus, are you like the one? Are you the one who was to come? He knew he'd said it earlier that he was. But he got, he got discouraged in those difficult times that happened to all of our lives. He says, or should we expect someone else? And he was asking if Jesus was indeed that Messiah, the Christ, the, the anointed one, the one that you and I even today need. Jesus didn't condemn, condemn him for his needing that reassurance, he, but he dispelled his doubts with his word that, yes, he was the Messiah. Look at the evidence. Look at the proof. We don't need to look any further. Though John was having a hard time, Jesus had a lot of good things to say about him and and that he was indeed a prophet. He He was the messenger sent ahead of Messiah who would prepare the way that he he was he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But I really like this this verse in verse 12. It's hard to get away from it where it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. What a challenge that is for us. I quoted D.A. Carson. He said, The kingdom kingdom is making great strides. Now is the time for courageous souls, forceful people to take hold of it. I found this other quote, though, by Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher, and it kind of ties in with this. I just found it. He says this, I've seen boys swimming in a river in the morning, and one of them has just dipped his toes in the water, and he cries out as he shivers, oh, it's so cold. Another has gone in up to his ankles, and he also declares that it is fearfully chilly. But see, another runs to the bank and takes a jump, and he, he rises. He jumps in, and he rises all in a glow. And all his blood is circulating, and he, cry, and he cries, delicious. What a beautiful morning. I am all in a glow. He says, the water is splendid. Spurgeon says, that's the boy for enjoying a swim. He says, you Christian people who are paddling about in the shallows of religion, just dipping your toes into it, you stand shivering in the cold air of the world, which you are afraid to leave. Oh, that you would plunge into the river of life, how it would brace you, what tone it would give you. In for it, young man, in for it. Be a Christian, out and out. Serve the Lord with your whole being. Give yourself wholly to Him who bought you with His blood. Plunge into the sacred flood by grace. That's cool, huh? Go all the way. None of this halfway stuff, none of this half-hearted stuff. Continuing now in chapter 11, there's two thoughts, two kind of themes that I see as we, as we uh, study these, this section. And uh, believe it or not, we're doing a whole chapter in two weeks. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, we're trying to make up for some time that I lost in the, earlier on. But the, the, the first thought is this, that we're responsible for what we hear, for the light that we have. And the second thought is that, that this is great invitation that is there, that Jesus gives. Let's look at verse 20. We'll pick it up where we left off. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. 
Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus begins to denounce these cities. These cities where his miracles, where he had performed miracles. Why did he denounce them? Why did he have these things to say? Why did he say things like, woe to you? What does it say there? Look at your verse 20, the, the, the last part of the verse. It says, because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. They'd seen his power. They heard his message. They heard about who he was. They saw his life. This isn't a place that just heard about it secondhand. These are places where Jesus went and actually physically was there, did incredible things, and yet they did not repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn from our way to His. It's a change of direction. It's a change of heart. They saw, they heard, but they decided that we're just going to carry on the direction that we're going. We don't need a Savior. We don't need Jesus. We don't need to follow Him. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. To our own peril, we refuse and we reject. See, it wasn't just those people in those days. It's us today. We see, we hear. We're in a quote-unquote, and I use this term very carefully, a Christian nation. You're going to think about that for a minute. Are we still a Christian nation? But have we been a Christian nation? Have we had the light in our country for a very, very long time? Jesus had done those miracles in these two places, Chorazin and and Bethsaida, yet they rejected him. And And this word woe, when he says it isn't just a word of judgment, but it's also a word of grief. Woe to you. These two cities, Tyre and Sidon, they had been judged by God for their own sins. But Jesus said that if they had the same opportunity that that, uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida had, they would have responded. So you have different, different levels of response. But you also have different levels of, of responsibility as well. These two places, Chorazin and Bethsaida, it says they have the greater responsibility. Why? Because they had seen and they'd heard more. And the more we see and the more we hear, the, the greater the responsibility that we have. Greater light means greater responsibility. And I think that, that our country and indeed many Western, quote-unquote, Western nations who have, who have who've had so much light for so long, we're going to have to pay the price for the light that we've had. You and I, as as individuals, for the truth that we've heard, you can't just keep hearing the Bible, you can't keep hearing about Jesus and do nothing about it and not expect that that, there's going to be some kind of accounting for those things. We have Christian radio. We have Christian television. We have Christian music galore. We have all all these resources, all these things that have been given to us, and yet he says... We're going to be responsible for those things. I, I, 
I fear for our country. I really do. You know, we say these words, God bless America, but, but I, I, I ne- I've never felt comfortable with that. After 9-11 and different times, God bless America, looking at what our, is going on in our country and the, the, the moral decay. I think it's God, God have mercy on America. Not God bless America. Why would God just bless us? Of course, we know grace is giving to the, you know, those that do not deserve it, but, but, but our country for, for what we have and, and how we're, we're turning away. Gradually, but surely turning away from the light that we have in Jesus Christ. He says there it will be more tolerable for certain cities on the day of judgment. So uh, one commentator pointed out three things in this. Is, is Number one, that there is a certainty of judgment. There will be a day of judgment. You cannot go through the Bible and not see that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of reckoning. Are we ready for it? Secondly, notice this, there will be degrees of punishment, degrees of justice, judgment, just as there are degrees of reward in heaven. There will be degrees of judgment in hell. But the worst sin of all is what? Rejecting Jesus Christ. We see that here. The worst sin is hearing and knowing about Jesus Christ and, and, and rejecting, refusing. Look at verse uh, 20, where are we? Verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that, that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow. You all read the story. You've all read the story, hopefully, about Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, right? Wicked place. But he's saying here, this city, Capernaum, it's going to be harder for you than it is for Sodom on that day of judgment. Now, this Capernaum, we've, we've looked at it early in the book of Matthew. Capernaum is where Jesus is uh, a quote-unquote head... I've said that too many times, quote-unquote. I won't say it anymore today where Jesus' headquarters were, right? He was raised where? Huh? Nazareth, right? But, but uh, he kind of made his base of operations, and it was most likely at Peter's house. He made his base of operations there in Capernaum. Jesus, he spent all kinds of time. That's where he went home. He went home to Capernaum. Jesus was there all the time doing all kinds of stuff. They could see him, pass him, going to the marketplace, and, and, and he was just there. And he says, woe to you. It's going, to be, it, it's going to be worse for you than it is for Sodom. Whoa, do you kind of see what, what the, the thought is here? The light that you have, the light that you and I have, we're going to be held responsible for it. They thought just because Jesus lived there, they were okay, No, it only means more responsibility because they saw him more, they heard him more, and yet they did not turn to him. The book of Hebrews in in chapter 2, verse 3 says these words, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? We won't. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Right there, and then he breaks into prayer, breaks into praise and worship for the Father. But the, the idea there is this idea of, of pride versus humility. That the wise and the clever and the proud and the religious and the intellectuals and, and uh, the, the, the spiritually proud as opposed to the humble. He said, which one is going to make it? Pride gets us nowhere, doesn't it? Doesn't, does it not? It says in James, it says that, that God gives us more grace, and that's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, our pride, our pride just really doesn't get us in anywhere, and especially with God. When we humble ourselves before Him and we lay aside our pride and we humble ourselves before Him, that's when we make progress with God. But so many times we're unwilling we think we're okay, and we're just going to carry on in my own pride, my own way, my own, you know, thing. That's what they were doing, all these people. They refused to repent and say, listen, my way is no, no good. I've got to turn to you and to your way. Jesus said those words, did he not? I tell you the truth that anyone, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's kind of what he's talking about here. It doesn't mean that we need to be little children, but we need to be like little children. And the little children have this attitude, you know, they're, they're willing. They, they haven't become so hardened. They haven't become so, you know, caught up in themselves. Receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Look at verse 27. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Again, we see, and this is over and over and over again in the New Testament, that the way to life is through the Son. All things were given to Him by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. We can only know God through Jesus Christ. When Jesus reveals the Father to us, there's no other way. There's no other path. Now, you look at these verses and you say, oh, well, you're not sure if he's chosen to reveal the Father to you? Well, my answer to you in that is turn to him and trust in him with all your heart and you'll find out. Turn completely and totally to Jesus Christ. You'll find out. Verses 28 through 30, where we look now, is, is this invitation I was talking about. Again, we, we've received so much light. We've received so much truth. We, we, we know about Jesus Christ. We, have, you know, we wear crosses around our necks. We, we you know, have crosses on top of our church buildings. But what have we done with him? What kind of response have we made? Are we following him? Have we jumped in all the way? Or we just got our little toes in the water and saying, it's just way too cold for me to get in. We're never going to know until we jump all the way in, really, what it really is like to follow Jesus. 
It's not something you dabble in. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Go for it or go somewhere else. I'm not saying that about here. Spiritually with Jesus Christ. But I love this, I love this invitation now, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. We see he's talking about you know, judgment on these places because of their lack of response. But then he, he, he opens up this beautiful invitation, and this is the heart, I believe, of Jesus towards the human race, towards you and towards me. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation, and it's an invitation to all. He says, come to me. The very first thing he says there is come to me. Not, not to a religion, not to a church or a church building. He says, come to me personally, you and me, a relationship. As you and I come to Him, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter what's happened to other places, other cities. He says, come to me right here, right now. Come to me, He says. In John chapter 5, well, why don't we turn there? I want you to look at some verses there. John chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 5, verse 39 speaking to those religious leaders, again, some who were like that uh, spiritual, had that spiritual pride that I was referring to. In verse 39, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. He says they were studying the, the scriptures. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They were studying the Bible, for goodness sake. And yet, they missed the message. They missed the truth. You can come and hear Bible messages week after week and yet miss the truth. You refuse to come to me, he says, Jesus says. Come to me to have life. And then look at John chapter 7, verse 37. This is, a, this is a 737, if I've ever seen a 737. He said, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to what? To me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever believes... In me. Come to me and drink. Come to me. That's what he's saying back in Matthew, isn't it? Is it not? Let's turn back there. Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me. Come to me, all of you. He says, are weary and burdened. I don't know about you, but I, I, can, I can relate to these verses. Can you relate to these verses at all? You ever get weary and burdened? King James says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, you're just working and working, but yet all you feel is these, these burdens, these 
heavy things laden upon you. There's a lot of burdens in this life to be truthful, are there not? There's the burden of sin, and, and we all, we're all sinners, and we carry this burden of sin. We're fighting against it. There's the burden of religion and, and, and what religion is all about. There's this burden just of the things of life where, where you and I, we just get exhausted. We get wiped out. We get burdened down. I want to read to you from uh, John Corson, who's a, a Calvary pastor in, uh, on the West Coast up in Oregon. And he has an interesting story. He talks about this judge. He says it took place in the 1930s. And he says it was one of the most mystifying missing person cases in FBI files. After spending an evening eating out with friends, a 45-year-old New York judge hailed a taxi and was never seen or heard from again. The FBI got involved. They thought maybe a kidnapping, but that didn't pan out. They thought maybe mafia activity because he'd spoken out against the mafia. That didn't go anywhere. There was only one clue, and it it says that when his wife returned home the evening that he disappeared, there was a a note on the table. There was also a check for her. There was a note on on the table, and in his own handwriting, he, he simply wrote these words, I am very, very tired. Love, Joe. That's all he left. Never heard from them again. John says the question remains, were those words merely a comment made at the end of a particularly trying day? Or was his note saying, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm weary, I give up? To this day, we can't be sure. For lack of further evidence, it's believed he rode off in a taxi cab to an unknown destination where he took his own life because weariness had weighted his soul. Pretty heavy stuff, huh? That's not just physical weariness. That's a lot of weariness, isn't isn't it? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He goes on and gives some statistics, and I just share these just because they're kind of interesting. He says in a a 24-hour period, on average, our heart will beat 108, 103 1,689 times. Our blood will travel 168 million miles. We'll breathe 23,000 times. He says, if you are a man, you'll speak 4,800 words. If you're a woman, 7,000. Ooh. You'll move 750 muscles, exercise 7 million brain cells. Some a little more, some a little less. It's no wonder that we're tired and worn out. It's not easy in this life. Just being here, you know. I don't know about you, but I get like that. I, you know, where it, it's just how much more can you do? How much more can you take? How many more challenges can you face? Jesus says, come to me. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple, but we make it so hard. Well... I've got to do this and this and this, and then maybe I can go to church, and then maybe I can, you know, read my Bible, and then I can do all these things, and I'll I'll get it all together. He says, no. He says, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. That's what he says. 
It's a gift. He says, I will give you rest. Not something we earn, not something we, we deserve. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Look at in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. There's, there, there are different yokes. He says, take my yoke. Now, the legends, a legend has it that, that Jesus, we know his father was a carpenter, right? That they, you know, focused on making yokes. And, you know, but you, you hear these different legends, though, you know, and you got to kind of take them with a grain of salt. But they probably at least did work on yokes because that's what carpenters did. But I have to say that if you believe every legend, the yoke's on you. So just thought I'd throw that in. But he says, take my yoke upon you. And, and there were different kinds of yokes. Right? There were single yokes and there were multiple yokes, right? I, I want to show you something I have here. <clears throat> that, uh, this, see this here? Can you tell what that is? That's a single yoke, though, right? Now, um, say, where'd you get this? I got this at a yard sale. <laughs> and uh, you say, well, what is it? Well, you know, it took me a while to figure it out, but, but, oops, basically, if you get it around, and it sits right on here, and it's for, like, carrying water, see? And uh, why someone would give this to me for, like, two bucks, I don't know, but I'm, I'm still out looking for the double yolk, you know? You know, like, when you crack the egg, and there's double, but never mind. But, but you, can you see this here? This is, and and it, it's very comfortable. It doesn't look that way until you actually put it on, but it actually feels very comfortable. Why? Because they worked on it, and, and whoever made it, you know, tried it on and, and, and sanded it and, and got it there, and then you can carry water, and it made it much easier to carry the water, you see. If you want to try it afterwards, I'll, I'll let you do that. I'll only charge you $2 per person. <laughs> i got to make my money back somehow, right? <clears throat> But well, that's a single yoke, but Jesus says to take my yoke. We've all got our own yokes, you see. But he says, take my yoke. In other words, yours is, yours is, not, is not any good. It's not going to do it anymore. You can't just keep going on your way. Now, the yoke, of course, taking on another yoke and, and, and yoking ourselves with someone else it, it speaks of really submission. And this is not, again, it, it talks, you know, we've talked about pride already. But this idea of submission, we don't like that word as human beings because we don't want to be under anybody else. You know, you, you've heard it. I've said it many times with young kids. You don't have to teach them to say what? You're not the boss of me. You don't have to teach them. Some of you are adults. You're still saying that all the time. You're not the boss of me. You're saying that to God. But, but to take on a yoke, you need to, it's something that is, is over you, that's on you. And, and so we need to submit and take that yoke. Well, Jesus said, if you want rest, come to me and, and, and submit to me. Put, that, put my yoke upon you. So it's really his yoke or my yoke, his way or my way. We have, we've got a lot to learn, do we not? And, and he says, but when you do that, you'll learn. When we, when we submit ourselves to him, we're willing to, to go his way. 
as we take his yoke upon ourselves. Look what it says there. He says, you learn from me, my, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That, where is that rest going to come? It's not just us doing it on our own. I think we, we know that, and, and, and most of us have made uh, that decision. But, but even, even as Christians, as believers, sometimes we say, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm kind of tired of being on, you know, under your yoke. I'm gonna just, can I just do it for a little while, my own, my own self? And we kind of you know, put that aside and we put our yoke back on and, and we start going down that road thinking we're going to make it, we're going to do it ourselves. And he says, okay, I'll see you when, you when you get weary and burdened and burned out. Uh, I'll be right here. How often do we do that? How many times do we got to do that where we realize it doesn't work? How far are we going to get? Take my yoke, he says, upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. He doesn't, he doesn't force us. He doesn't beat us. But he blesses us with that rest deep within our souls. I found an interesting verse, and, and, and I really love this, uh, but let's turn back to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, dealing with a a guy that we know, and his name is Moses. But Exodus chapter 33, in verse 12, says, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses was not afraid to have kind of a back and forth discussions with God, right? And he's, he's doing that here. He said, you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. It was more like this. Remember that this nation is your people. And, and God had called him to be a leader, but, but he, was, he was saying, kind of, you know, you put me here. You need to do something here. But look at verse 14. It's so beautiful. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's no different than what we're talking about here in Matthew. Take my yoke. Go my way. My presence will go with you. And that's where you're going to find rest. My presence will go with you. But verse 15, Moses can't just kind of let it go. He says, he says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. I kind of hear what he's saying, you know, like if, if you're not going to go, if you don't go that way, then I don't want to go either. And that's kind of a good attitude to have. If God's not leading that way, don't send us. We don't want to go. If, if we're not in that relationship with him where, where he's in charge, we don't really want to go that way anyways. Let's turn back to Matthew. In the last verse... There in verse uh, uh, 30, he says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. They say that that word easy can also be translated to mean well-fitting, tailor-made. He makes it just for you. You know, every ox 
was not the same, the way their shoulders, the way their neck and everything, and we're all different. And, and so he says that, you know, my yoke is easy, it's going to fit you, it's going to be the right one for you. Sometimes we try to take on other people's yokes that were made for them. We try to be like them. We, we're jealous of them or we're envious. We want to be like other people. But the Lord says, I, I have a very special, a very special plan for you personally. And that's the, that's the relationship that he wants to have with you and with me. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's still a yoke to wear, though, and there still is a burden. But it's light, he says. Someone said this, it's not a lawn chair and soda. There's still work involved, but it's a special kind of yoke with the weight falling on bigger shoulders than yours. If you can kind of picture the yoke, right, it's going to be a little lopsided, right, because it's going to be very big for his part and very little for our part. It's not like uh, a lot of religion is, you know, our part's the big part. And we kind of take Jesus along with us. But it's, that's not what the picture is here, is, is, is he's got the big part, and we kind of go along with him, you see. It's a big difference. And when we're striving and pushing and trying to do it ourselves, we got it backwards. But he takes the load. He takes the greatest part. Someone said these things about this yoke. He says the yoke of easy, uh, the yoke of Jesus is easy and light as compared with the yoke of others. The yoke of Jesus is easy and light as long as we do not rebel against it. The yoke of Jesus does not include the burdens that we choose to add to it. Jesus says, come to me. Let's read it one more time. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to turn to one verse as we close in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah, about in the middle of your Bible there, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Maybe you are facing something like this right now in your life. Maybe you're not, but I guarantee you, you will be at some point in time facing these kinds of things that, that Jesus was talking about. But look at verse 16. He says this, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Sometimes we're at this crossroads, we're at this place. We're, 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 we're not sure, where do we go from here? How do I go forward at all? He says, look, ask for the ancient paths the good way and walk in it and we will certainly find rest but there were people there in that day that said no can't do it won't do it won't do it we're going to be held responsible for those choices but God's heart is for you and for me come to me he says to you and to me come to me 
and I'll give you rest. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we, we humble ourselves this morning before you, and we, uh, we know all too well what it's like to try to do it on our own, try to make our own way. But yet, the way is found in you. Those ancient paths, the way of the cross, the way of our Savior Jesus, the yoke that he has provided. Father, we just take a moment, a brief moment, and say, Lord, we need you. We come to you this morning and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I need you, and I come to you, and I submit myself to you, to the yoke that you have uniquely and specially designed just for me, that I might walk with you. We need to make those decisions, each one of us, right here and right now. I just want to take a few more moments. For you, between you and God, it's this transaction between you and God. Where are you right now? Are you saying that? No, I, I don't want to do it. I refuse to do it. Are you saying right now, Lord, I, I got to do it. I can't. I can't go any further. I can't make another step. I can't do it. I'm ready to, to, to end it all. I'm ready to just give up. And Jesus is saying to you right now, come to me. These quiet moments, I think, is a good time for you to simply answer that call, answer that invitation. Today, in your heart of hearts, call out to him. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I don't have anything to bring. I just come because you've invited me to come. I depend on you and I submit to you. You are the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.